Uh, If you have a Bible, if you could please open up to Galatians chapter 3. One of the things that I said when we set out to plant churches was that I wanted to be just a cog in the wheel. Um, I did not want there to be any church that is dependent on any one person in the Redeemer family of churches that we're looking to plant. And I've always said to you guys that if our church is healthy, I should be able to get hit by a bus tomorrow, and the only thing that would change is, um, I don't know, me being hit by a bus. So um, it is so humbling, but so beautiful to be able to see interchangeable parts, because the only person that's necessary here is Jesus, His Spirit, our Heavenly Father, and his word. So, um, so grateful for that. And thank you so much. I've got a word of my heart that we're going to look at together out of Galatians chapter 3. It feels really bittersweet to be preaching today, knowing that it's going to be a couple of months before I get to do what I love with the people I love, for the God that I love, and this body that I love so dearly. And this passage that we are looking at this morning has been a very special passage to me ever since my conversion. In our text this morning, Paul is giving a bit of a wake-up call to the Galatians. He's trying to get them to stop, to consider the potential dangers of taking a vibrant relationship with Jesus that was totally born out of God's Spirit, and now they are trying to grow by responding in their flesh. And why is this passage so important to me? Well, there's a handful of passages I go back to all the time in my devotional life, and this is one of them. And a disclaimer, I am somebody who really enjoys being convicted by God's Word and God's Spirit. It helps me know I'm still spiritually alive. It helps me know my heart is still beating, that there's still blood pouring through these veins. And there has not been a time where I have gone to this passage where I have not been convicted to some degree. And I want to be a guy who preaches a text to my own self before preaching to others. Uh, What it comes down to is I hate condemnation, but I love conviction. So the reason this passage is so important to me is that even though I've not been a Christian for as long as many people who are here. I've been a Christian long enough to see many examples of things that were beautiful, things that were beautiful because they were born by God's Spirit, become something else entirely when people stop tapping into the Spirit that gave birth to that thing and begin to do that same thing that they've always been doing, but now they are doing without the power of the Spirit and they're operating in their flesh. And often people can go long times. Churches have gone decades without being aware of just taking the time to stop and check their spirit. So before departing on sabbatical, I want to look at together how can we be 
in danger of taking a work that began in the spirit and try to perfect it in our flesh. And more specifically, how are you in danger of trying to take something that God is doing in your life that was born of the spirit and trying to perfect it in your flesh? And as I've thought through this text, I've asked myself a lot of questions. And just because I ask these questions doesn't necessarily mean that there's a negative answer or a negative connotation that comes with them. But I've been asking my thing, myself things like, remember when ministry was just so fresh and organic and functioning in the spirit did not require a whole lot of thought. Remember when I used to show up every single Sunday expecting that the Holy Spirit was just going to drop like a hammer on this place. Um, Remember when I just couldn't long, I couldn't wait because I longed to gather for worship because I knew that the manifest spirit of God was going to show up in that place. Remember when my expectation was, we're going to build something uniquely authentic here on the Jersey Shore where we're going to have genuine, messy, real-life, Christ-centered, gospel-formed community. Remember when serving God came so naturally to me and was so fun and was so exciting that words like burnout weren't even in my vocabulary because I was just floored that Jesus would use a train wreck like me to be able to accomplish his purposes. Remember when I would never think about getting bitter about the people around me because of what they were doing or not doing because my eyes were so fixed on the cross that there wasn't any room to be able to look at silly nonsense like that. Remember when I couldn't go a week without experiencing deep conviction in my spirit, leading to an immediate response of repentance before the Lord. And I wanted my heart to just be in this place that was super soft and pliable for my master Remember when I believed with all of my heart, and this is one that I want to challenge you guys on this morning as we begin to approach our text, that my best days in Christ have not even been seen yet, and I have truly not seen anything yet compared to the glories that will be revealed in the future. And all of these questions led me to ask myself, and hopefully you to ask yourself, Does this describe where my heart still is? Is this still a tangible, powerful, spirit-led thing that it once was? Or am I taking something that was so real in the spirit at one time and then just through ritual and mechanics trying to reproduce something that was real in the spirit and trying to master it in my flesh? This message is going to be very simple. When I went into ministry, my greatest desire, I remember when I was ordained and I stood before my ordination council and they said, what do you have to say? And I said, pray that I would never lose the sense of wonder in my relationship with Jesus Christ and that I would always be amazed by him, that I would never become a professional Christian. Well, it's not been as linear as I would expect as probably 
most of your Christian walks, you could attest the same thing. There have been times where I know that it has had to be the Spirit because there couldn't be any other natural explanation for what God is doing. And there have also been times where things feel mechanical and ritualistic. And in moments like those, I know the Spirit is asking me to just stop, seek Him, recalibrate, and fall in love with Jesus all over again. So along the way, I have sought to surround myself with people who burn with a white-hot passion for Jesus and who are also becoming increasingly more passionate for him as their walk continues. I want to be a man. I want Redeemer to be a church. I want our Redeemer churches to be a place where the longer we serve, the deeper we dig, the more infinitely sweet that Jesus becomes. And I think that this text speaks to that. So as you look at chapter 3, the tone of this text is really interesting because he's really stern to them. Not because Paul's a meanie, but because he's concerned about them. Look with me at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh. And I've wrestled with Paul's language in this passage. Like, how do you take the strength of what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatians here in a text um, that is pretty rough and communicate Communicate it to a people that you love and esteem. Because first of all, you know, he starts off by addressing them as fools. And I don't think that you guys are fools. Um, Also, I I wouldn't want to just throw the blanket assumption that the thing that he's talking about wrestling in this passage, that everybody here is wrestling. But, But it also, it's a bit strange of a passage to use because people just do not speak very directly to one another anymore. We live in a non-confrontational culture where people choose to go the passive-aggressive way rather than confronting something right on, and they put something on Facebook like, hey, you ever notice that some people do these kinds of things, and you know that you're throwing out a passive-aggressive shot across the bow that you want that some people to be able to read what you said without mentioning their name, and that's the way that confrontation looks in 2019 for a lot of people. In our non-confrontational culture, confrontation is typically looked at as if it's unloving, and it's the opposite thing here. This is the most loving thing that Paul could do for this church at this moment. These guys had gone from having a vibrant relationship with Christ when the church was planted to playing church together. I don't know if any of your kids, or if you remember when you were a kid, if they had one of those little toy kitchens, and they, and they would play house, and they would make like the, the, the little plastic eggs and stuff like that, and it had the little plastic stove, and they would make pretend meals. Well, that's how silly it looks when we play church, rather than depending on the spirit. You are serving up plastic eggs from a plastic skillet, and it's just not what the Lord intended. And Paul loves them enough to say, guys, stop playing church. This is really silly what you're doing 
here. And if you keep it up, you're not going to like where you end up as a result of this. And then he asked them this very direct question, Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that's a pretty deep question because, first of all, there's actually a really direct answer if you know the book of Galatians. There is this group of people called the Judaizers, and that was the actual answer to who had bewitched them. He just spent two chapters going over what that looked like and who they were. And there's an actual historical answer to that question, but it's kind of rhetorical as well. In a way, he's not looking for their answer to be when he says, who's bewitched you? He's not looking for them to say, oh, it was the Judaizers, Paul. That's the answer. I mean, I think he knows that that's the answer to the question, but somehow I think he would not have been satisfied if that's how they answered it because he's trying to drill deeper and he's trying to drill into their hearts because he's addressing their hearts more than their their historical situation. He's saying, how on earth did you stray so far from the purity of where you began? So what Paul is really asking with this question is, Galatians, how did your hearts get to the place where you're playing church? I think that this is a question that hits all of us at various times and seasons. The way that we approach that question has a lot to do with our ongoing vibrancy with Jesus Christ. And I think that people feel fear that if they admitted that they don't know how they got where they're at, that they might have to admit that they don't have everything all together. Hopefully, we are a church of people that know that none of you have it all together. And God, may we never lose sight of that. I want this church to be an army of grace junkies. And the only way that you can be a grace junkie is the realization that Jesus had to give you grace because you couldn't have it all together. It was impossible. No matter how hard you tried, no matter how much you spun your wheels, you cannot have it all together. So Christ, who did have it all together, had to have it together on our behalf. And I want Redeemer to be the kind of transparent place where we can regularly look at a passage like this, either corporately or in your own devotion time, and look at your hearts and say, how did we get here? And again, I'm not assuming a negative connotation here. I'm just asking for an honest one. There are some things, well, ask yourself, are there some things that have become sacred cows that need to be reexamined along the way? Let me ask you. Do you think that Paul was expecting that the Galatians would have the humility to take an honest look at this question and give an honest answer to it? Do you think the Holy Spirit who penned, who inspired Paul to pen these words expected that the Galatians would be honestly reflective and actually look at their hearts and ask and have the humility to do something about it? So let me ask you, would you have the humility to take a regular and honest look at your heart in this question. Like if you're here and you're saying, man, who has bewitched me? How did I take this thing that began in the spirit and perfected in your flesh? Would you have the willingness to be undone about it? 
right now? Or would you just get in your car and say, that was a nice message, and well, now we could shut the chapter on that. Would you have the humility to say, maybe the Holy Spirit is asking me to examine this? Would you have the humility to step back? If we ask the question like this, and we realize that we are operating more in the flesh than a vibrant walk with Jesus. I think it's also really healthy to continually look at this on an individual level. How did you let your heart get to this place? Galatians continually hits on this theme of life and ministry in the Spirit and what Spirit-filled ministry and a Spirit-filled life looks like. And I'm sure that that's where many of you are. I feel like that's where this congregation is at. So again, I'm not saying anything because I'm seeing warning signs or nor do I feel the need to preach a rebuke in any way, I'm sure many of you are in that place where you can say that you're sitting here and you're making a regular practice of yielding to, ministering from, and hearing from the Spirit. And if that's you right now, praise Jesus. But if you're in a place where you're getting crusty instead of joy in the Spirit, there's been crustiness in your flesh, We want you to have the kind of culture here at the church where we can come together and ask questions like, how on earth did my heart get to this place? Is my heart getting softer or crustier? And I just want to ask you, look at that question right now. Ask your heart that question right now. Is your heart getting softer or is your heart getting crustier? It does not remain neutral. And I will be honest, as I approach my sabbatical, This text has been so timely for my heart. It's funny that a passage that's seemingly pretty harsh, you know, he calls them fools twice in this passage, has actually been so encouraging and so life-giving to my soul. I want to be a man who is ministering from a place of deep intimacy with Christ and check in often to make sure that that is still the case. I want Redeemer to be a church where we love Jesus more than we love what we do for Jesus and more than we love grinding it out for Jesus. So those moments of truth that we have, they kind of present us with two choices. Do we go on and ignore it and keep grinding it out or do we do something about it and look at our heart and ask, how did you get to this place? And I think we all want to be in the place where we're serving Jesus out of a soft heart and a joy-filled life. I think we all want to be in a place where the longer that we pursue Jesus, the sweeter that Jesus becomes to us. And then Paul goes on to tell them something pretty interesting. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but they weren't there when it happened. They did not see Jesus crucified. So this is interesting terminology here. This church was planted decades after the crucifixion of Christ. So what does Paul mean by saying that? He's telling them the gospel that you were presented with is the real deal, good stuff, legit power of God unto salvation gospel. That's the Jesus that you were presented with. So they can't blame the fact that they're getting on all wonky 
on the fact that the gospel has never been presented to them or that they didn't have the real gospel to go off of. They had the good stuff. And that's one thing I could say I am confident that you're getting here. Jesus Christ is regularly portrayed as crucified before you guys. It's one of the reasons why I am so excited to be bringing John on staff here. That man can handle the word and take any text back to Jesus and back to his gospel and back to his crucifixion and resurrection because that's what sets a sermon apart as Christian. That's what a Christian message is all about. So Paul is their pastor. He confronts them for the foolishness of trying to play church. And then he asks them, how did you let your church get to this point where you've been okay playing church for all this time? And then he reminds them that they have always had the real, pure gospel to go off of. And then he just begins to barrage their heart with questions. Look at verses 2 through 5 again. It says, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit that you are now being perfected in the flesh, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? So he asked them some questions. When you trusted in Jesus, was this a Spirit-led thing or was this a flesh driven thing. When you began to respond to the implications of the gospel and what the Holy Spirit was doing in your life, was this a spirit-led thing or was this a flesh-driven thing? When you endured tribulation because of your Christianity from those who were resistant to the change that they see going on in your life, was this a spirit-led thing or was this a flesh-driven thing? So with Galatians as our foundation, let me ask you a central question. If the answer to those questions is the spirit, then how are you trying to take what was spirit-led and going to try to perfect it through your flesh. He's presuming that the answer to all of these questions is the Spirit began this. The Spirit continued this. The Spirit led this. So how do we take what began in the Spirit and try to perfect it in our flesh? And I would imagine at that moment, the Galatians would have been undone. So what exactly is he calling them out for? He's saying this thing really was all about the Spirit's work, past tense. But now you've taken this vibrant, life-changing, consuming relationship and turned it into a bunch of perfunctory duties in the name of religion. And it was affecting their ability to respond to the ongoing work of the Spirit. And it was affecting the way that they were living in community with one another. Isn't it amazing that these guys were actually better at responding to the Spirit before they even had a theology of the Holy Spirit. All they had in the beginning was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yet, they had enough to work off of to have a radical, consuming, Spirit-filled response. And now that they've grown in their knowledge a little bit more, that pure, simple response to the Spirit was absent. 
And I've got to tell you, out of all the things in this text, that's the one that probably surprised me the most. And obviously, I'm not anti-theology. I'm not anti-growing in our theology of the Spirit. But there was just something very pure and naive to their early relationship with Christ. And somehow, that had gotten lost along the way. So let's answer the questions that Paul posed to them. How did the Galatians take what began in the Spirit and try to continue it in their flesh? And the idea that he's addressing here is really this idea of responding to the Holy Spirit, resulting in a body of believers that is responding to the Spirit and a Spirit-filled life both individually and corporately as a church. So let's unpack these same questions that Paul asked of the Galatians and ask them to ourselves. If your heart had begun to be slow to respond to the Spirit, how did you get here? When you came to Christ, was it a spirit-led thing or was it a flesh-driven thing? When you began responding to the gospel, was this a spirit-led thing or a flesh-driven thing? When you endured tribulation because of your Christianity and relationships began to falter because of this new Jesus who had entered your life and you endured that and endured it with joy and kept following Jesus, was this a spirit-filled thing or was this a flesh-driven thing? And if the answer to all of those questions is the spirit, has it continued in the spirit? Or are you trying to take something that which was once spirit-led and trying to perfect it through your flesh? And if you're in that boat, would you be willing to do anything about it? I remember hearing Francis Chan preach on this text one time, and he said, you know what scares me the most? is that there's people that are sitting right here that know the answer to that question. They know that they're responding in the flesh and that they're just going to get in their car, drive home, and do nothing about it. I want to beg you. Jesus loves you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants intimacy with you. If you saw that, hey, I'm departing from that intimacy and I've turned relationship into a religion, would you stop everything and say, nothing matters as much as this? This is the central thing. And would you be willing to do something about it? Is there a reason why you would allow fear to keep you from digging deeper and taking a scalpel into your heart and beginning to ask tough questions. And a good litmus test, has your Christianity been filled with joy? Has it been an actual relationship with a person? I'm not talking about duties that you do. I'm not talking about a place that you show up at. I'm not talking about churchy things. Has it been an ongoing, deepening, vibrant relationship with a person and if God was speaking to you and revealing something to you, would you be willing to stop everything to respond? So for our purposes, I think the most important thing to ask, how were the Galatians taking what began in the Spirit and trying to perfect it in their flesh? What was it that they were doing here? Well, first and most obviously, there was an original excitement about that new relationship with Jesus. Do you guys remember that? 
Does anybody remember when that, when Jesus was so brand new to you and you were just like, everything else is gone. All I want is Christ. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. And I want more of this Jesus. And nothing else measured up. It was like Jesus and then nothing else was on that plane with Jesus. There's an anticipation to meet with God early in their conversion. Paul was not interested in flattery. So for Paul to say that they began in the Spirit means that they truly did begin in the Spirit. So the question has to be, where is the point of departure? And friends, that is a really good question to ask if you're wrestling with a season where things that were once Spirit-led now seem to be flesh-driven. Trace it back. Ask yourself, where was the point of departure? Where did this thing begin to go off the rails? It's a gutsy question to ask yourself. But the fear of asking it has kept many people and many churches in the rut of religion and shaky foundations rather than coming back to the cross and humbling themselves on the only true foundation that's not sinking sand. So the big thing that Paul's addressing here is that the Galatians started off in the spirit when they began following Jesus. And then they created a religion that was entirely based around being very, very good. And I would say for the most part, out of all of the whack job churches that Paul was writing to, these guys probably were really, really good. This is not the Corinthians that he's writing to, folks. These guys were probably pretty morally sound. We don't see him dealing with a lot of immorality in the book of Galatians. But as Tim Keller has said, they missed the fact that Christian growth is not fundamentally about a bad person getting good. It's about a person who used to think only of themselves and do everything for themselves, shifting the entire orientation of their lives to make their life about Jesus. Let me read that again because it's really good. Um, they miss the fact that Christian growth is not fundamentally about a bad person getting good. It's about a person who used to think only of themselves and do everything for themselves, shifting the entire orientation of their lives to make their life about Jesus. And when you think about it that way, you could see how the Galatians could be incredibly moral and getting better and better morally, but it having nothing to do with Jesus. And therefore, being more about feeding your flesh, even though their lifestyle may have appeared to be moral and godly on the outside. So it would stand to reason that when we take areas that began in the spirit and now begin to exercise them in the flesh, that the opposite side of that coin is also true, that we are taking back areas that used to be centered around Christ, and now we are re orienting them and recentering them around ourselves. So I want to ask you this morning, where is your center? Do you know? As you grow in Christ, is your life increasingly revolving more and more around Jesus and his glory and less and less about you and yourself? That's the litmus test, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, can I get a nod from somebody at least? Am I lulling you guys to sleep? I'll get louder if you need me to. Um, the, one of the primary ways 
that we know if this is a spirit-led thing or a flesh-driven thing is, is this becoming more about me or more about him? Am I spending more time thinking about me or am I spending more time thinking about him? So in our remaining couple of minutes together this morning, I want to examine some of the ways that people respond in the flesh when they used to respond in the spirit. So what I did is just create a very simple list of common areas where I've seen both in Scripture and in practice, people who began in the Spirit and have allowed the flesh to begin to invade. And as Tim Keller has said, the thing with lists is I made them up. So some of these things may be helpful or more helpful than others. But I would just ask as we go through that you would just take care enough to be honest with your heart. And if any of these strike a chord, ask the hard questions that Paul is asking earlier in this passage. How did you get here? Who has bewitched you? Are any of these things, as we look at them, can we say where did we once respond in the Spirit and now we're seeing signs of flesh creep? And I'm going to just dive right into it. Probably the biggest indicator of departing from being led in the Spirit to now being led in the flesh is replacing praying with planning. And I'm not against planning. I, I, I love good planning. But if we're able to plan the things that we do so well that we can do them whether or not God actually showed up and the Holy Spirit was to show up and it would look the same regardless, then we have to ask ourselves, are those plans really born out of the place of intimacy before Jesus Christ? The second would be replacing justification with justification. Said another way, rather than the fact that we are justified by Christ through faith in the gospel being the foundation of our vitality, we begin to justify Christ not being the foundation of our vitality. Number three would be replacing passion with age, experience, and reasoning away. I remember this one time when I was a young pastor and this guy who had been a pastor for many years came up to me and basically gave me the little pat on the head and called me sport and said, I, I, I remember sport when I was young and passionate like you and um, when I actually believed that there were going to be things like revival in this area. And I was so offended that this guy was attributing my desire for Jesus and for Jesus to come and do a big work in this area that I would die for. I would die for the Jersey Shore. And I know that Jesus died for the Jersey Shore. And I was so offended that he was attributing that to youth and not to the Spirit. Well, now I'm becoming the older pastor. I'm, I'm not the kid that was asked that question. And I need to ask myself, is that vibrancy still there? Or do I use age and experience and developing in my gifts and, and being good enough to be able to perform to explain away dependency on God's Spirit? Number four, another area where people respond in the flesh where they used to respond in the Spirit is they just don't respond. Tell me if you can identify with this. There used to be a part of me where every single need that was brought before the body I wanted to respond to. I didn't care what it was. 
They could have said, we need somebody to clean the diapers in the nursery, preach a sermon, lead worship. And I don't know how to play a guitar and I don't like diapers, but I just love serving. And I, and I would just be like, yes, just give me the opportunity. I want to do that. And to be honest, some of that might have been flesh driven and might have been immaturity. But for the most part, it was just because I loved being around God's people so much. And I loved serving my Lord so much. And I loved serving the church of God so much. It was just where I wanted to be. I wanted to be where God was at and take any opportunity to serve. And I was humbled that God could use somebody like me to even be able to achieve his purposes. Or remember early when every single sermon that I used to listen to, I would take something away and be deeply convicted and just looking for an opportunity to respond to Jesus. You know, I learned a lesson a couple of years back. I used to put together teachings and I would think, man, I hope so-and-so is going to be there this week. They really need to hear this. You ever do that? I'll bet you there's some of you that are doing it right now thinking, oh, I wish that so-and-so came this morning because I know that they, you need to hear this. They don't need to hear this. Well, they probably do too. But you know what happened more often than not when I would do that? Either so-and-so had no response, or if you want to have an empty church on a Sunday morning, preach messages with people in mind rather than God in mind, and he will show you by nobody showing up. And I've learned that over and over. Whenever I think, man, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one for that guy right there. That guy doesn't show up that Sunday every single time. And you know what ended up happening? is. I'd preach this message and I would have somebody who's living the most righteous life come up to me and tell me how deeply convicted they were. And I would think, you? I wasn't talking to you. You're convicted over this. You're knocking it out of the park. You? But you know what that taught me? You know why they're knocking it out of the park? Because after all these years, they're still convicted by the Holy Spirit. That's why they're knocking it out of the park. The fifth evidence is just working harder to try to ground, grind out either past results or future goals. When we look and say, well, God used to do this over here. I remember this movement of God back in the 90s. So maybe if I just do everything the way that we did in the 90s, we can continue to have, and that's how churches stagnate and die. That's how anything stagnates and dies when you allow no new water to come into it and no new life is being breathed into it and you're just churning it out saying I need to produce those results that I used to produce and maybe if I just work a little harder here and work a little bit more hours here and spend a little bit more time doing here and neglect my family a little bit more over here and neglect what God is calling me to do over here I could start to produce that's not the way that God works. Is that the way that he produced the fruit in the beginning? So why would we think that that's the way that he's going to do it now? Another sign that we're taking what began in the spirit and trying to perfect it in our flesh is it's been a really long time since we've had an experiential experience with God. And I know that that's just not a good sentence for any of my English people 
here. Um, I read this quote in a book that I was reading about the manifest presence of God recently. It said, instead of seeing ourselves as people trying to connect with people, let's see the church as people trying to connect with God and help others to do the same. People are deeply dissatisfied with infighting, backbiting, heartbreaking, frustrating church as it exists in their communities and long to stop attending church out of obligation. Listen to those words again. Long to stop attending church out of obligation. Too many return to their cars each week unsatisfied, even frustrated or grieved by their church experience, only to vote with their feet by doing something different the next weekend. Church shopping quickly just becomes shopping and soon after becomes sleeping in. Even the most optimistic, persistent churchgoers are forced to agree that we are far from what Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Where is that church? Can you honestly say that you've ever been a part of a hell-shattering, culture-conquering, Christ-exalting church where petty disagreements and pathetic protection of preferences are eclipsed by the manifest glory of God? Some can answer yes, but sadly, most cannot. God is not safe. He will not be squeezed into some neat, respectable Sunday discussion. God in a box with a little packet of hot sauce and a toy inside. No, to know God at all is to watch him explode any box that you would put him in with his terror, majesty, and indescribable wonder. Does that describe what you're looking for when you come for corporate worship? How long has it been when you just stood in wonder in God's presence? Where a time of worship, you just felt that I just have to drop to my knees because I'm just so overcome with His Spirit. Last week, when we preached on Jacob, I talked about after he had wrestled with God, he called the place Peniel, which was Hebrew, for I have seen the face of God. How long has it been since you've had a Peniel moment where you could say, I showed up at worship and this place wasn't Redeemer fellowship this morning this was Peniel because I saw the face of God in this place another warning sign is there's growing bitterness and resentments where there used to be restoration and reconciliation you know when I got saved I was just so in awe of God how could you reconcile a sinner like me through the work of Jesus Christ oh what grace and as a result, I longed to, relate, to fix broken relationships and reconcile broken relationships in my life. Because I thought if God could be so gracious to a sinner like me who sin put his son on the cross, how could I not forgive the people in my life? And sadly, most Christians that I know, the longer they've become Christians, the longer the list of their bitterness and resentments begin to grow, which is so foreign from what Paul meant when he said, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed each day. And the last sign of flesh creep is just losing that sense of childlike wonder of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's the, that's the point. That's, that's, that's my end here. Have you been walking in that wonder of, wow, Jesus, you're amazing. Your presence is amazing. I long to be with you. So I have a couple of questions, and then we'll close with communion and worship. 
What are some warning signs that we might be responding in the flesh rather than continuing in the spirit? Friends, let me throw this out there to you. Responding in the flesh is not a prerequisite. You don't have to have that as a part of your story. You're able to. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. You don't have to have this time where you say, hey, I just kept on wandering into fleshland. It doesn't have to be your testimony today. And if it is, it doesn't have to remain your story today. God is so good that he will meet you right now if you just ask him to. And as we prepare to close, I want to end with a word of encouragement and just say thank you for the joy of being surrounded by a group of people who are running the race well. The calling to seek and live out the embodiment of faithfulness to the Spirit's calling is about continued submission, not about a quick start. So may Jesus be infinitely sweet to all of you today. And may we have the courage to press in in areas where he is not. So we're going to go to communion now. And this is a time where we can reenact what Paul said in the first verse. Before your eyes, Jesus being publicly crucified in a symbolic way. And we take this meal to remind us of where our vibrancy truly comes from. God, thank you for loving us, for continuing to call us back to yourself, that though we may wander, you continue to bring us back into your presence, Lord. I pray for anybody who knows that um, they've been dry, they've been crusty. Lord, may they come to you, Lord. May they seek you. May they ask you to come in and change that And may you be vibrant to them today. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen.